SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase. Welcome back to the Sportsbeat KC podcast. This is Jesse Newell, KUB reporter for the Kansas City Star. I'm joined once again this week by CJ Moore of The Athletic and Bleacher Report. CJ, how is your week going? Jesse, going well. What's going on, brother? Not too much. Um, any 30, 30-year-old 30 man problems uh, this last <laughs> week? Anything you can share with the rest of us? Uh, let's see. I um, I played basketball yesterday at a, for an, in a, like a noon ball game that I found. And uh, definitely got popped in the nose, and uh, I have black eyes today. So wow, there you go. That's that's not too much fun, but you know that that's not really an age thing. But I'm sure I'm in a little more pain from it than I usually would be because I'm getting old. Yeah, so. I, I have noticed that playing any pickup ball that things start to hurt a little bit worse than they used to when you were in college and could play all day, and the next day you were fine. Like the back and the legs, it just feels a little bit different when you uh, get a little bit older. Yeah, yeah, the back always gets gets sore afterwards, but uh, I'm 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 trying to get to the point where I play two times a week instead of one time a week because I think that second time helps with like conditioning and actually being in semi shape. Exercising one time a week is is kind of a uh, a challenge on the old body, so <laughs> so we'll see. I found this Thursday game. Hopefully, I can continue that, but uh, you know, we'll see. Well, who you need to talk to about this is Devontae Graham. How's that for a second? <laughs> uh, for Kansas, uh, obviously, he's going to be a topic coming up. We've got some of your Twitter questions uh, about Kansas basketball. KU goes 1-1 one one this last week. Sort of a, not sort of, a, a major surprising loss to Oklahoma State at home. And then a home win against TCU. So the Jayhawks kind of stabilized after the loss. But like I said, you guys came through with some Twitter questions. So we'll address those in a second. But um, let's start with that, CJ. This just this last week. KU was a 13-point home favorite against Oklahoma State. Loses at home. It's third home loss of the season if you only count the Allen Fieldhouse games. And then rebounds against TCU after Bill Self called out the team on Monday for its uh, lack of effort and its selfishness. So I guess just wrap that all up in a bow for me. What do you make of this last week for the Kansas Jayhawks? Oh, man. It's a lot to, a lot to untie there. <laughs> um, the Oklahoma State loss was was not a good one, and it's it's one that makes it difficult to win a league when you, you lose a game like that. I mean, they're still in a, in a pretty good spot, but – um, you know, you'd like to have that one game cushion right now that you probably should have from from just winning that Oklahoma State game. And you know, I thought Jesse, I think you kind of almost predicted this in a way with with your story about the three point shooting and the fact that they were giving up a, a lot of good looks and eventually it was going to come back to bite them. And I think that was the game where it came back and it definitely bit them. I mean, Oklahoma State's not a great shooting team. But they, they sure shot it well that, that day. And, um, you know, I, I just think Kansas came out in that game from an intensity standpoint early. I didn't think that they were where they needed to be. I thought, particularly in that first half, just the effort and just the kind of attention to detail focus you need on the defensive end in particular just, just wasn't there. They were just kind of um, sleepwalking through that game and maybe the early tip off probably didn't didn't help but you know Oklahoma State had to tip off at that time too so I think Oklahoma State came in you know there's a there's now a 
belief when you come into Allen Fieldhouse that you can actually win the game. And I don't know that teams have ever felt that like empowerment before this season. And this season they actually come in and they have a feeling because they've seen it done now that, that they can come in and win. And I think that played a part in Kansas losing that game. But I also think a lot of it had to come down to the, the effort. And, you know, then obviously Kendall Smith was, was incredible. And then the, the next game, I, I think they responded in the way you would want to see a team respond. You know, they didn't, it wasn't their best offensive game. I thought Oklahoma or TCU did a good job of not letting Svi Mikhailuk have any good looks. And, you know, we've, we've talked about how important he is to this offense. And, and when he plays well, they usually play well. And I think Jamie Dixon made it a priority to, to kind of take Svi away. And, um, you know, Kansas just, it was kind of one of those grinded out wins that the Bill Self likes. And so that was probably a, a good sign for him and, and the fact that their defense performed pretty well, you know, with the new too big look, which they, you know, they didn't play a ton of, but they played a decent amount of. And, and to hold TCU under a point per possession, I think TCU, I believe, was the best Big 12 offense going in Big 12 game. games going yes. to that game, right? I don't know if they are now. Um, they've, nope, they still are. So, um, yeah, that, that was a that was a good solid win. I mean, TCU, yeah, they're four and seven in the league, but I maintain I still think they're like an NCAA tournament level team. I I still think they'll I find a way to get in the tournament. But um, that was that was a good bounce back win. But again, it's it's a game at Allen Fieldhouse. You know, you should win all of those. I, a couple crazy things. For one, Mike Boynton, the uh, coach for Oklahoma State, got his first road victory as a coach at Allen Fieldhouse. Oh my gosh. Is that's that, insane. Is that I didn't I didn't realize that. That's an, that first road just period. <laughs> yes. I mean they were talking about in the postgame for the uh was the Florida State oh it was semi away. It was uh it must have been a neutral court game. It his the Florida State win was in Florida. So it was kinda like a road win, but yeah, I guess technically it was a uh it was a neutral game. <laughs> Isn't that nuts? I mean, they were talking about the post game. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is a conversation that is usually not had in this media room that the coach is getting his first road victory in Allen Fieldhouse. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up, CJ, and I think this is um, a good point you made about the three-pointers or a good point that you made about the article I wrote, which was KU was kind of on thin ice because you allow a bunch of three-point attempts and teams miss a high number of those when really defenses usually don't have very much control over that, there was some regression coming. And you saw that against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State made 12 of 27 threes, really burned Kansas. Now, Bill Self goes Monday. He kind of lashes out at his team or whatever you want to call it. This was a a once-a-year thing. If If you do this every week, you'll lose your players, you'll lose your fan base, all that sort of thing. This was like a last-ditch effort for Bill Self. Very contrived, knew what he was doing, but um, this is trying to get his team jump-started and back into gear. And so you mentioned TCU having its worst offensive effort in Big 12 play, second-worst offensive effort of the entire season. And yet, if you look at the numbers, TCU made 10 of its 25 three-point attempts. So again, KU uh, allowed a lot of three-pointers, and a lot of those three-pointers went in for TCU. But there's the difference in those two games. that We've always talked about the rest of the season that KU has to do something other than force missed shots well 
to be a good defense. You know what I mean? You've got to get turnovers. You've got to be better on the defensive glass. You, know, you have to do one of those two things, or it's going to be very difficult to win down the line. And so if you look at Kansas in that game, uh, not only was Yudoka Azubuki a better rim protector, TCU only made 41% of its twos, but KU was much, much, much better on the defensive glass against a team in TCU that gets you know, a lot of offensive rebounds. And so you add those two things together, and all of a sudden a team can make some threes against you, yet you can still have a really solid o- or defensive effort against a team with good offense. So that's the difference for KU. If KU turned up means you can do better in some of those areas you've struggled with. KU not having any, any energy, you saw the Oklahoma State game. You can see teams really expose them on that end. Yeah, and to, to go back to the three-point shooting, um, I do think, you know, if you if you give up a, a, a number of open looks, obviously it's, eventually it's going to burn you. But uh, a lot of times I feel like defenses, when they're turned up and when they play with energy and when they're, you know, trying to, to, to close out hard and, and do those kinds of things, you know, you, you're, you're, tr- you're trying to contest shots, you're, you're, you're busting your butt to, you know, not give away those those super open looks like maybe it's a semi-open look but super open look when you're making the offense work and kind of be uncomfortable in a way when when offense is uncomfortable even when they get the open looks they're not maybe going to shoot a a super high percentage right and i just thought KU's defensive effort and kind of how they just let oklahoma state do whatever they want played a part in that and that oklahoma state got rhythm not only got open shots, but they were in rhythm and, and stuff like that just because the, the, the effort wasn't there. And and this when this team doesn't play with, with effort, we kind of talked about it all year, like they get really, really, really average on the defensive end. And, um, you know, that's that's what I think he was trying to get across to them and, and definitely is a point that, that needed to get across because, hey, you're, you're, you guys aren't good enough to just roll it up and show up at Allen Fieldhouse and, and win. You just lost to arguably the worst team in our league if not, you know, they're at least one of the three worst. So um, that was that was probably an, an eye-opener for, for that team, similar to some games in the past that have been eye-openers to, to other Kansas teams. Like I'm sure that, you know, I know the TCU game, the, the YMCA game, you know, back in the day was like an eye-opener for, for that group. And, and um, you know, I, I think that, that that's one – game that you could look back and and see as a potential turning point we'll we'll see kind of how how kansas goes going forward but um i I think the next stretch coming up to kind of look forward here now jesse you go to baylor and you go to iowa state if you want to win this league those are two games you you go to and owen probably but i you know we mentioned this last week that baylor game was the one i circled as one that's going to be a lot more difficult than than many fans think. You know, I'm I'm looking at the projections here. Ken Palm has KU has 55% chance to win. I think that would surprise a lot of people based on you know what Baylor does has done in conference play. Now they've rebounded a little bit in recent games. You know, winning back-to-back games against Iowa State and Oklahoma State. But as you mentioned, those are the two worst teams in the league, and so um, that is probably to be expected. But the thing about Baylor is. It just seems like KU always wins that game down in Waco. Now, it's been close before, and I remember KU coming away with really big plays down the stretch. But, again, if you're in a close game, you're in a close game. You know, it's kind of like the Oklahoma game. If you're in a close one, you certainly could lose it. And so I anticipate this one's going to be a close game for the Jayhawks. um, Iowa State, listen, Hilton's tough. It's always tough. We know that about Hilton Coliseum. But, you know, the thing looking forward with – 
Uh, Iowa State is that that's just one of the worst teams in the conference. So you figure that KU probably can be okay there if they can play up to the level they have at certain times this year. But, again, that's going to take better effort defensively than what we've seen in many other games. Offensively, KU should be okay. All right, TJ, I'm going to go ahead and get to some of these questions to start off with. I know we usually ramble on these more than I think, so uh, we'll go ahead and make sure that we get to all of them this time. Let's start with this one from Ty Briggs, and it's kind of an interesting one based off of the last game against CCU. He says, Garrett and how he changes his offense. He wasn't willing to shoot prior to last game, shot the three last game. I think he has to shoot it. Do you agree? He was left alone a lot. So what did you think about Marcus Garrett and his 4-for-4 four four performance against uh, TCU, which included a couple from long range? Well, I'm going to reference probably really, really small sample size there. I think that he if, – if you're Marcus Garrett, you maybe take the first open one of the night, and if that goes in, you keep shooting them. And if it doesn't go in, maybe you, would, you, you just look to attack and penetrate and pitch or look to get to the rim. I mean, I, I – I don't think he's a good shooter yet. Um, you know, maybe he did something to, to, to kind of figure it out, but the numbers for the season are eight of 30 and that's probably more true than two of two the other day. So, you know, maybe he's, he's figured out something in his shot that he's more comfortable with it. And maybe that game will just give him good confidence going forward. But yeah, if you know, if he's going to be closer to like a 35, 40% three point shooter, then I, I think, yeah, you want him taking those shots just for the defense to respect them because right now they're playing off of him. But I don't foresee him just, you know, suddenly becoming a, a, a good shooter. Um, so that's that's kind of my answer. A little bit complicated on that one. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think the thing more about this is, you know, three points is nice and obviously helped KU against TCU. They needed those points. But the bigger picture thing for KU is that a lot of teams are not guarding Marcus Garrett. You know, they're just leaving him wide open and giving help in the lane. It's more tough for Udoka to get touches then. And the other thing that kind of pops up then is sometimes KU has to go to Mitch Lightfoot and Marcus Garrett on the court at the same time, and then you're really faced with a dilemma because both of those guys don't really require as much attention offensively. And so that puts even more pressure on a guy like Devontae Graham or you know a guy like Svima Kyluk anytime he's open to shoot up a shot. So if Marcus Garrett can – we just talked about the difference between guarded and unguarded. And you know if he can have the confidence to step up and make – you know he doesn't have to be a great shooter to, to make – you know, 35 to 40% of unguarded shots. I mean, teams are not getting out there to him at all. But even mm-hmm. just doing a little bit of that to get some respect could help KU's offense as a whole because, you know, it does change the, the dynamic offensively. It does change roles for guys when Marcus Garrett is in just because they have to do things so much differently because teams are not respecting him at all and kind of playing five on four or yeah, five on four defensively against Kansas. But th- things he can provide def- defensively, if he can just give KU a little bit more offensively, then that could be a, a potentially a positive sign. And honestly, those unguarded shots that he has to take are sometimes more difficult than like a semi-guarded three. That's true. Because when they're not guarding you, man, that plays in your head. Yeah. Like that gets in your head. Oh my gosh, they're not even guarding me. Like. They don't even think I can make a shot. You, you know, that plays mind games in players' heads. I mean, you see it in the NBA playoffs, like, all the time. Like, a guy like a Tony Allen, teams just won't guard. And when he tries to shoot it, it doesn't look pretty because, like, not only is he not a good shooter, but now it's it's in his head that, man, they don't, they don't, they're not even respecting me. You know, 
golly, what, what am I supposed to do? And, and when you start, you know, thinking that way, then you're done for, you know, you're not going to make shots. So credit to him to step up and, um, and make those two there. But yeah, I, I want to see kind of what it, you know, let's, let, let's maybe come back to the, revisit this in in like four or five games and kind of see where he is there. I, I, that, that could have just been a, a one night type, type of thing. Absolutely. I think Bill's trying to get him out there more uh, if he can, but uh, most of he's a, he's, he's our best perimeter defender. I mean, there, there's, there's a reason he's, he's, he's a really, 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 he's a plus defender. But, you know, offensively, it's it's a struggle sometimes. So, yeah, if he can play like he did the other night, he's going to get more and more minutes. If you're looking for energy and enthusiasm and activity, then Marcus Garrett is your guy on the defensive end. Now, that led to some problems against TCU, which will segue into this next question nicely because he overhelped a couple times and gave up a couple open threes just because he was trying a little bit too hard. But that mm-hmm. does lead us to this question from Moops. He says, is KU constantly overhelping off shooters a coaching thing or the fault of the individual player? And so I guess I'll turn this over to you, CJ, for now. When you're watching Kansas, I guess, what are your general thoughts when you see uh, the defense that the, the Jayhawks have and if there is too much overhelping going on? I think it's a combination of the two. I think that Bill Self's defense makes it a really, really big priority to, to take away the paint, to try to take away easy baskets. And, you know, that, that involves help defense. And so, you know, the priority is always to, to – to, almost over help because you don't want to give away he doesn't he hates giving up layups dunks like his teams don't do that and there's a reason for that like they're they're usually pretty good in help but when you play that way sometimes you tend to over help and um you know he definitely did a, a few times in, in that game um one guy you know I, re- I remember who was a great defender at kansas who used to i felt like over help a lot because he was usually guarding pretty good shooters was travis relaford like this would happen a lot with him um, so, you know, I think it's a, it's a combination of the two. Now, if, if you're playing a really good shooter, a lot of times a coach will tell you, Hey, you know, stick with this guy for the most part. Um, you know, for, for example, um, you remember when Brady Heslop was in the, was it Baylor? Yes. Kansas used to stay attached to him. Like they wouldn't, they wouldn't help off him in, in any situation. And uh, at least late in his career, maybe not early in his career, but but I remember the last couple of games they played against him, like they wouldn't wouldn't help off him. But but yeah, the 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 you know Kansas defense is usually to to take away the paint, and you know then you then you close out, and um, you know maybe sometimes the you, you tend to when that situation happens, there, there there's times where guys will help when they shouldn't help because there's not a need for help. And but they're, the the in their head they're thinking, man, I got to be ready to to play help defense if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it's 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 both sides here. Again, Bill Self wanted more than anything this last game activity, energy, enthusiasm. And so when you're Marcus Garrett, you get in the game, you're excited. KU's on a little bit of a run, that sort of thing. You know, they pass the ball to Alex Robinson, who is maybe the worst offensive player or offensive starter in the Big Twelve, and. Garrett leaves his man, goes over, tries to dig, tries to to help, all those sorts of things, one pass away. And in general, in general, you don't want to help one pass away because one pass away means your guy can catch and shoot and make a three. And so I agree with you. It's 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 both ways. You know, Bill Self, like you said, his whole career at Kansas has been get easy baskets, 
limit easy baskets. And so if you have that philosophy, you're going to help a lot inside, and you're also going to leave up a few open three-point shots because of help. That's going to happen. Now, having said that, this seems a little bit different than others because I just looked up, and KU is eighth in the Big 12 in two-point defense right now. So even that help defense is not been perfect. I know a lot of that, uh, or some of that at least, has just been because KU's transition defense uh, and size and size has been a little bit different. However, I will also say this. Um, if you look at the numbers this year and go down just from a college basketball perspective, right now Virginia is like lapping the field when it comes to defense. Stupid. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous how good <laughs> how good Virginia is. And of course they are well known for their pack line defense. And uh, you're actually from the Athletics. Sam Vecini wrote a nice article about kind of what makes that effective and how they use help defense. Virginia gives up a decent amount of three point attempts, uh, but I I will say that. They do that, and other teams don't shoot very well from three-point range, which, again, some of it's luck. Some of it can be controlled by you, Not maybe not as much as people think. But I will say that if you know exactly what you're doing, if you have players who understand the rotations and understand when to help and understand how to help, some of that can be negated. You know what I mean? Like Some of those three-pointers will go away, and I think this KU team as a whole – is not the best execution team that Bill Self has ever had. I mean, would would you agree with that, CJ? That that this team, as far as like just nailing scouting report and nailing execution on offense and and nailing some of the finer details, maybe kind of like you would imagine that Landon Lucas did a year ago. This team hasn't always had that. And I'm gonna go yeah. ahead and circle the defensive end as part of that because I don't think this is one of his best teams when it comes to kind of having that awareness of when to help or knowing when to help or communicating or being good about communicating, all those sorts of things that can kind of add up to the final numbers looking like they are right now where KU is giving up a bunch of three-point attempts. And and there's more to this too. Like because they're playing small, they're doubling the post more often than they would have in the past. Like last year, if Landon Lucas is guarding somebody in the post, they're not going to send a second defender. Like they're yep. just going to let him go straight up. And if, if you look at it, um, I'm looking at itself's coaching page on KenPalm.com right now, and this team is giving up a higher percentage of shots from beyond the three-point line than any team he's ever coached going back to 2002 because, you know, that's how far the database goes. But, um, you know, part of that is teams are shooting more threes than ever before this year in college basketball. But a- another part of that is – the way KU is having to play where there is more of a priority on helping on doubling the post on, you know, trying to take away the paint as much as we can because we're really small. So maybe we over, um, over help overemphasize that because of, of the, the personnel they have, but you know, and, and then part of it is attention to detail and like executing things as, as well. So there, there's, there's kind of a lot of layers to that problem to that, the, the fact that they're giving up so many three-point looks. Yeah, and I also want to say, I mean, from looking at some of the synergy numbers too, I was looking at this from KU yesterday, just kind of curious. It, it The post-defense, I just talked about how KU has the eighth best two-point defense in the league. Um, and actually, it's not horrible, but it's just eighth because a lot of teams in the Big 12 aren't two-point focused and teams are shooting around 50% there. But I was looking at, uh, just out of curiosity, like post-up situations for uh, KU defensively and just thinking, okay, KU probably has really lagged behind there. Like that's probably been a, a really difficult thing for the Jayhawks to defend this year. 
Um, KU right now, 95th percentile defensively in post-up situations, 0.65 points per possession for opponents in those scenarios. So it's kind of interesting. Again, I agree with you that the perception might be that this team has to double. This team has to get help in the post when there's a postman down there. But I don't know, looking at those numbers, if that perception equals the reality. Now, I think I, think I can explain that. Go ahead. Do it. All right. So what's Udoka's number? individually defensively on post-ups uh, i will look up right now look look it up so i'm, I'm guessing it's pretty pretty good because he's a monster he's he's and, he's excellent at 0.6 points per possession okay yeah because he's a monster because like he's really really hard to shoot over and he's thick and like that's a guy that's tough to post up so they they don't necessarily have to send help when when yudoka's guarding his man in the post now when they throw it to a four guy who is posting up maybe Svee or LeGerald Vick or somebody like that, that's when they're sending a double team, which what happens when you send a double team? Uh, it opens up shooters if you get a couple you, ball you rotations. Pass it out. Yep. Yeah, you pass it out. So you're not seeing what happens out of those post-ups because they're not logged as post-ups because they're passing it out of it. So basically KU is taking away chances for – um, you know, Svee or LeGerald to get posted up and to have those numbers be available because they're when they get posted up, it's a shot creator for other people. So I'm guessing that is why that number is the way it is. If they were to just play it straight up and they were to let Svee and LeGerald get posted up all day, then it would probably be a different number than, than it is. Well, here's something interesting. Synergy tracks during pass-out situations. So uh, post-up, defense commits, pass-out situation, KU's off, or defense is very good, 78 percentile, uh, 0.91 points per possession. And then there's also a post-up hard double category, and KU's in the 80th percentile, 0.62 points per possession. So, again, all those working fine for KU, but, again, I, I guess from a big-picture perspective, I would say that maybe that fear is a little bit more than what – the actual reality is, if that makes any sense, CJ. I mean, sometimes I think the numbers don't match up with what the perception is because you could look at this KU team and say, hey, four-guard lineup, not very you know, deep in the post, and some of that might be trying to avoid foul troubles for Yudoka too. So there's a lot of factors at play here. But, I, you know, if teams shoot 35% from three against Kansas the rest of the way, which is about what you would expect – it doesn't take many threes to get burned from that, whereas it's going to take a lot more twos, you know, over outstretched arms to try to get burned that way. So, who knows? I mean, we'll see moving forward. But I, I with you, to the original question, I think we both kind of agree in this aspect, which is basically that it's a little bit of both. KU is not helping from the right spots at this point, and the rotations have not been great, and that has not been as good as some years past. But at the same time, Bill Self would much rather limit close shots and give up some open threes uh, based off rotations or semi-open ones than give up shots in the lane. So I think it's just a combination of both, and that's what you're going to see from this KU team moving forward because uh, that's kind of you got to believe in what you believe in, and that's uh, basically what Bill Self believes in from a defensive scenario. All right, next question. Uh, this one's from Jeff Brack. Real quickly, we should talk about KU picked up a commitment this week from Ochai Abaji uh, from Kansas City. He uh, committed to the Jayhawks. Obviously, that puts KU one over when it comes to scholarships, but kind of more of a project guy. A lot of comparisons to Travis Relaford. KU uh, 
trying to get back into the Kansas City market, I would say, to, to get him. And he's a guy that's been on the rise. Sam McDowell from our staff had a great story, if you want to Google it, from a couple weeks ago. Uh, Abaji had no Power 5 offers two weeks ago. So really the way he's been able to, uh, to ascend in the last couple weeks has been pretty amazing. But anyway, from Jeff Brack here, any insights or rumors about which underclassmen are staying and which are going since they are over numbers for next year? Is Romeo Lankford still in play for KU? So this is a question that I've gotten a lot. So I can address this real quick, CJ, and then you can add on uh, whatever you want at the end here. But the first thing about uh, who's leaving I would have to assume, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Malik Newman is one of them. I think the plan all along was for him to come to KU for one year of playing, and then he would be out and go professional. And then I would also think LeGerald Vick. Um, he's still on a bunch of the mock draft boards uh, as an NBA player. And then obviously Bill Self talked openly this week about his frustration and, and what he wants to see out of LeGerald Vick. So one way or the other, I think LeGerald Vick will not be on this roster next year. I would think mostly that would be a professional opportunity since he still is on mock draft boards. As far as Romeo Langford, yes, KU is still pursuing him. And if he decided to come to Kansas, the Jocks would make room for him. We've definitely seen this sort of thing before. Yeah, I mean, I think it, these things usually play out. And you you find they, if a guy like Romeo Langford wants to come to Kansas, they'll figure out a way to make it work. Um, as far as who's leaving, who's not, I, you know, I, I think it's still too too early to really um, try to predict that. Like the two guys you talk about, Newman and, and Vic, I I can understand and I can see that. Um, I can also understand the other side of it. Like they should both those kids should maybe come back to school because they won't get first round grades. But at the same time. Um, you know, a guy like Newman might just be like, okay, my plan was to come to Kansas, play one year, and then go play pro, whether that's in the NBA or overseas. I don't care. I just want to start making money playing basketball. And you can understand that too. Like, you can't fault a kid for being ready to make money playing basketball if that's that's his plan and that's what he wants to do. Like, then then go for it. So, um, but yeah, I think I wouldn't count them out for Langford just because they're over the scholarship limit. Like, they're if they're still. That that commitment isn't changing anything, I don't think, as as far as their recruitment of of that guy. And um, yeah, like you said, they'll they'll make a way, a, a way for it to work. Yeah, no, I I think fans sometimes make too much of this. I mean, the numbers will work out. Just basically, don't worry about it because it's tough with some of these guys because Bill Self has to basically recruit like those guys are going to be gone, yet they aren't officially gone yet but you also saw a scenario a couple years ago just remember what Wayne Selden did you know Wayne Selden was a guy junior year um, a lot of people thought he would go pro but didn't know for sure he did go pro announced it didn't get drafted now you know has been a contributor at the NBA level so it all worked out for him but he basically sort of had to clear out so that the next guy could come through and that was Josh Jackson so um, that sort of thing kind of plays out I think a little bit more than fans realize at this sort of level and so if you're looking at Malik Newman if the plan was for him to come to Kansas for one year and then you know leave his mark and then leave and open up for Grimes and Dotson and whoever else comes in Charlie Moore who's a transfer uh, Marcus Garrett, all those sorts of guys, then, I, you know, that's that's sort of the plan all along. And Bill Self has to kind of proceed like that's going to be the case. So yeah, don't don't worry about that. Don't worry about Romeo. Now, if Romeo thinks that the backcourt might be crowded next year, then that's something he's probably considering already when he's looking at Indiana and, and Vanderbilt and all those other places. But uh, KU will still pursue him, and if they get him, then they get him, and they absolutely will take him and, and make sure that they find a way. All right, let's get to a couple more here before we get out. CJ, uh, we've been waiting on this one. Uh, this one's from Johnny Orlansky. He says, why is Devontae Graham's season being undervalued? Norlander, 
Matt Norlander from CBS recently said one of the reasons this team isn't elite is his disappointing performance, but he's having one of the best individual seasons of the self era. Is it just optics? So thoughts, oh, on, boy. thoughts on Devontae Graham <laughs> and then thoughts on Matt Norlander. Oh, <laughs> Matty. Uh, <laughs> Norlander's a friend. You know, it's a good dude. Usually knows his hoops pretty well. <laughs> um, I think he's just couldn't be more off on this one. Um, I tweeted, I responded to that question. I said, Matt, did you say this? <laughs> <laughs> you, gave, you gave him a chance. I gave him a chance. He said, yeah, what I wrote there is all true. Devontae has been strong, but has not been the difference maker KU fans hoped he would be something close to what Frank was last season. All right, so let's address that. So what you were expecting from Devontae Graham was for him to be the national player of the year. I don't think that's entirely fair. I don't think anybody was expecting that. I don't think anybody was expecting that. I think they were expecting a maybe All-American caliber type season, which I think he has delivered. And and by the way, before we get going too far, CJ, me and you were beating the drum in the preseason about, look, this is going to look a little bit different. Frank Mason was 20-5. and five. Devontae Graham's more Monty Morris. He's more 17-7. and seven. So it was yeah, like, yeah. What well, what we were doing that. Let's let's go back. Let's let's look at it now real quick. Well, I'll, I'll continue to talk about this. But uh, I've got it right here. Do you want it? Well, yeah. What were Monte's stats last year? Oh, I didn't look at Monte's, but uh, I'll, I'll look that up. You you give Devontae's. Okay, so Devontae, according to Johnny on here, is at seventeen point five, seven point four, and four point zero. Uh, so All right. He's at, Mont- he's at eighteen and seven. Basically, what we were trying to what we were talking about in the preseason. Yeah, Monte Morris last year, sixteen point four points per game, six point two assists. Yep. So yeah, he's been a little bit better version of Monte Morris. Probably, I'm guessing he has higher turnover numbers because Monte Morris is like leads the NCA all time and assist to turnover ratio. Yes. But um, yeah, he's he's been a little bit better than like a Monte Morris. Like he's he's been pretty dang good. Another thing that, that we talked a little bit about this after you know before the podcast, and maybe I should let you. I'll, I'll let you make the point, Jesse. Go go ahead and and, and kind of say what you said earlier, because because I thought it was a good one when it r- regards to a little more help for Frank Mason last year. Yeah, well, if you look at the t- way these two teams are set up, if Frank Mason needed a breather last year, he had Devonta Graham who could run the point. If Devonta Graham needs a breather this year. Um, too bad. <laughs> you know, if Devontae Graham's knee is hurt a little bit, too bad. If Devontae Graham's in foul trouble a little bit in the first half, too bad. I mean, I'll read you his minutes per game, or his minutes each game. The last 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40. There, there you that, go. That right? that, that's it. That's it. Seven in a row. I was looking it up. The last decade, the highest any player had played 40 minutes or more per game for KU in a season was Frank Mason last year with three. I think you need to quit looking up KU. I think you need to start looking. We need to go to that. Would Basketball Reference have who who has? Yeah, uh, we like, can we, we can start yeah, looking it up nationally. Um, not just. I mean, we, we we could save that for next podcast. We don't want to sit here and try to figure that out but, right but, now. But, but the point man, is, the, could, the last yeah. decade, KU's highest forty minute point total guy or forty minute minute guy per in a game was three. Devontae Graham has seven in a row, and is now at ten for the season. And it's barely February. I mean, this season is not close to over right now. Uh, the, okay, so the other thing I was going to mention, though, if if Frank Mason needs a little bit of help, you know, if you need to throw in the post or another guy that could score on the ISO, you have the number four pick in the draft. If you need another guy who can pass it out to and get an open three uh, or, or can kind of create for on his own or be a point guard, 
he had Devontae Graham. If you look at Devontae Graham this year, I mean, let's let's be let's be brutally honest about this roster right now. Okay, I mean, I was kind of looking at this before the podcast, CJ. Let's be brutally honest. Let's go to the starting lineup. We knew what Devontae Graham was kind of getting into. He was going to have to do a lot for this team, not a lot of other distributors on the team. Let me ask you these questions. Malik Newman, has he been better or worse than you thought he was going to be this year? Worse. Okay. LeGerald Vick, has he been better or worse than you thought he was going to be this year? Mm, if you average it all together, he's probably about what I thought. Okay. But obviously, lately, he's been worse. Okay. Uh, Svi Mikhailuk, better, obviously? Svizis. Svizis. Yudoka, better or worse? Better. Okay. Let's keep going down the line. Uh, Billy Preston. <laughs> Not there. Uh, yeah, not there. Not there. Uh, Mar- not present. Not not present. Uh, Marcus Garrett. Um, you know, I kind of had semi high expectations just because he felt like one of those guys that that was going to be better than expected. So I'll, I'll say about what I expected. And then Sam Cunliffe. Um, probably about what I expected, but I most people would probably say worse. Okay, so we're going down the line here. You know, we've got. Two of the main guys you're crowning on for offense. Malik. You didn't say Mitch Lightfoot. Well, Mitch Lightfoot, and you'd probably say better, but not from an offensive <laughs> I, standpoint. I, I'd, right? Yeah, I'd say about what expected, about, honestly. About Okay. So you're looking at, let's say, just start, let's go with the starting five. Offensively, what you've gotten from those guys. Malik Newman, Bill Self thought he would be an all-conference type player. Again, he's been better lately. That has not happened. Okay. Well, Gerald Vick was great early in the season. Uh, has gone through a major funk. Bill Self trying all sorts of things to get him going again. Yudoka Azabuki, number one in the nation in field goal percentage, um, but then again is not a guy that you can just dump it down there and have him create a shot and, every single and time. part of him being number one in field goal percentage is Devontae Graham. It's Devontae Graham. And Devontae Graham's one of the best lob throwers you will find, and he's a pretty good table setter. So, um, you know, Kansas is 15th in offensive efficiency and adjusted efficiency. Devontae Graham deserves a lot of credit for that. Good, but, but go on, continue. And so then Svi Mikhailuk has shot more threes, made more threes, all those sorts of things. Still not the guy – I mean, still not a guy that you just throw the ball in his hands and he goes and makes a play for you. That guy – And that, part of the reason he's so efficient offensively – Is Devontae and Graham. And I laid this out in my Svi story <laughs> – is Devontae Graham. Gets so, him the ball where he needs it. So I guess what I'm saying is we thought Devontae Graham would not have much help going into this year offensively. Okay, we thought this is going to be very difficult for him to always create for others and then score and create for himself. And yet he's maintained a lot of these numbers. You know, look, uh, a 120 offensive rating, 25% usage, uh, top 60 assist rate in the nation, decent turnover rate for as much of the ball has been in his hands. He's done all that while getting much less help than we thought he was going to get because guys like Malik Newman really aren't creating for themselves and Steve McKayluk's not creating for himself and Yudoko Zbuki's not creating for himself and uh, and Lindero Vick's definitely not creating for himself. Uh, this is a lot to put on Devontae Graham's plate to play 40 minutes to be KU's best defender also because KU thought that, you know, self thought LeGerald Vick would be their defensive stopper. That hasn't happened. We know Svi Mikhailuk is not going to be that guy. We know Malik Newman's not going to be that guy. So he does all this, plays 40 minutes, seven games in a row, 10 games overall, and still gets the ball out to all these guys and still creates open threes for himself, shooting 43%. Yeah, this this one's a tough argument, Matty. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Again, three, I, don't, I don't know Matt as, three, as well as you do, but it's, it's, it's three, tough. Three, three things I want to point out, even, even to just strengthen this argument even more. All right. All right, so the the one thing he hasn't done well is two point 
percentage. He's not a great finisher. We knew that, right? We yes. talked about that at length. He's not a great finisher. It's probably something he needs to improve. Has he improved it? Maybe marginally. Um, you know, the the one criticism I'd, I'd have of Don, Devontae Graham is he probably takes some tough mid-range twos more than he probably should. Um, you know, he had a bad shot, I think, maybe that one second stood half. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one stood that out. That one stood out really bad. All right, so – but um, one thing you wanted from Devontae Graham this year that you weren't sure whether you were going to get or not is you wanted him to get to the free throw line. Frank Mason did a really good job in the free throw line, like who they have to create, who they have to just go get buckets, who they have to go get the free throw line. He leads the team in free throw, free throw rate. 42-6 is his free throw rate. Before this season, his best free throw rate was – well, as a freshman, but that's, that's not real. Um, as a sophomore, he was 29-0. So, you know, he's done a good job of getting the free throw line. His free throw rate's up to 59-9 in conference play. That's third best in the league. Okay, and to get to the minutes. All right, shockingly, he ranks um, like 12th in minutes percentage or something like that. Is that right, Jesse? Let's see. 13th, no, 13th. Yeah. He ranks 13th nationally. But that's not really indicative of where he should rank. So I, I don't look at those non-conference games as 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 much because obviously there those numbers are are teased a little bit because of the blowouts. I look at the conference numbers more so, and in conference games he's playing ninety-seven point seven percent of KU's minutes. That's number one in the Big Twelve. I went to the number one guy in minutes rate in the country, Justin Wright Foreman plays at Hofstra. He's playing 95.3% of his team's minutes for the season, 96-2 in conference games. I wouldn't be shocked if Devontae Graham's minutes rate in conference is higher than anybody in the entire country. So basically, he's being asked to play more minutes right now than anybody in the country, and he's still performing at a pretty efficient level and helping you know make all these other dudes better. Sfima uh, Kailuk making Udoka better and KU's offense overall is pretty darn good now could you maybe poke some holes into his defense has his defense not been as good yeah probably but that's also hard you know that, that then you can kind of use the tired excuse that type of thing but even with tired legs and he hasn't shot it as great as of late he's still shooting over 42 percent from three for the year so get out of here with Devonte graham hasn't been that good <laughs> get out of here with that get out of here get out of here that's that's you yeah the, I, I i'm not gonna you know it's gonna be tough to, to to critique that kid and put much on on him because damn the, the dude is doing a lot <laughs> yeah i i don't know i i hate to even say this but like wouldn't I would say Devonte Graham is the least of their problems? I mean, can 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 we say that? Him and him, and, yeah, him and I think Svee, him and Svee, it's it's pretty tough to to critique those two guys. Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. All right, last one for you, CJ. I wanted to be sure to get this one in here. He says, "How beware of fog." At beware fog says, "How many times when CJ dunks on Jesse Newell does CJ get a technical for taunting?" Um, all of them. <laughs> so zero, uh, so zero first, out of zero. First of all, zero. there's a zero percent chance I could ever dunk on you because you know I can't currently dunk. I don't think. There you but go. Uh, you know I haven't tried in a while. But but that would be that would be tough. 
Maybe maybe if I had a tennis ball. There was a better question uh, a week or two ago about if I shot 200 free throws and you shot 100 free throws, who would make more? <laughs> and, yeah, I asked you. I was like, Jesse, can you shoot 50% from the line? And you claim you can. So I think y- you might win that. Uh, <laughs> it would be technically impossible for me to you know, make – 101 obviously i'm surprised as cocky as you are though that you wouldn't i wouldn't claim say i would make 100 yeah that you wouldn't claim you could make 101 or i told you i'd make like what did i say like 85 yeah see 80, god you are 80. so cocky god <laughs> i mean free throws when i get to shoot them all in a row like that make quite a few we almost need to make this happen I, I, we need like an over underline though i mean do i get 150 would that be a, a I think, fair yeah fight? i think i think 150 would be more fair Okay, listen. Listen, we're gonna we're gonna have a handshake, non-handshake agreement since we're not within, uh, we're we're not next to each other right now. But KU makes the final four. If this little media game happens, we need to make this happen. I will shoot 150 free throws. We you, should do. You we should do something more like. Uh, I mean, that just takes a long time. We should do like. 30 and 45 or something 50, like that. 50 and 75, the one and a one half ratio. Yeah, we can yeah, do that. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure yeah. out a, a good right. number. But if KU makes the final four, uh, we will get together and uh, figure out who the best free throw shooter well, is. Norlander said that's impossible. So <laughs> that's, that's not happening, right? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, done. oh, but yeah, to get back to that question, this obviously comes from there was horrible technical foul called last night in a Louisiana Tech game by Jerry Pollard and it was one of the worst things you'll ever see in basketball and it's been a something that's bothered me all year that one was as bad as I've ever seen but I think too many technical fouls get called on when dudes dunk and they either hang on the rim just a second too long or have the you know just cur- or the gall to look at somebody after they dunk. So it's it's a pet peeve of mine. I think there should be a three-second rule in college basketball to where after a guy dunks or blocks a shot, give him three seconds, let him do his thing, and then if he continues after the three seconds, then, yeah, you can tee him up. But, you know, let guys play with a little bit of emotion. I realize it's like, quote-unquote, showing people up, but come on, it's not that bad most of the time. Let it play through. Don't We didn't come to watch the ref show. We came to watch the players, let the players decide the game. This sounds like a great uh, article or a story topic. Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'll be pitching it. <laughs> tweet, tweet, at, uh, tweet at Seth Davis. You know, I'll probably come at it in a little more measured tone. But, um, yeah, it's, it's something I want to uh, look into. So, so, so tweet at Seth Davis. Say, let CJ write this story. Um, and uh, yeah, you you might see me trying to dive into that. We'll see if any officials will, will actually talk to me. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm thinking about it. But it, man, that, that it, it gets me charged up, Jesse. It seems like it has happened a lot more this year. I'm a little bit less. Um, I don't know what the word is. Fired up about it. I, it doesn't affect me as much. And uh, but I, I I see a lot of people criticizing it, and I understand that basketball is an emotional sport. You can't completely take the emotion out of the game but i guess you you're the one to, to write this story because you're fired up about it but i would be interested to hear what the officials have to say about this because it seems like that sort of thing has to come from somewhere or from some initiative yeah there yeah. has to be some sort of initiative that's that's it's worse. Those officials to do yeah that. it's it's worse this year than i've than i've ever seen it as far as the quick trigger on them so i definitely think it it, it was some kind of uh initiative but yeah it's it's trash but yeah it, i would love to uh play some dunk ball on like an eight foot goal 
And uh, if there were officials, they would probably team me up a ton for for dunking on you, because because yeah, I would I would let you know about it. The only the only problem for you is I probably would be playing so little defense that I wouldn't even be in the way of your poster. So I would just be like <laughs> off to the side. You couldn't even dunk on me or swing your legs around me or do the Udoka straddle, uh, whatever the case may be. I, I wouldn't even be in the picture. Yeah, good good stuff. I, I'll, I'll I'll give a shout out to one of the guys on my rec team, uh, Aaron Torn. He put it on a dude's head this week and it's been a long time in a men's league game since i've seen somebody put it on on somebody's head so i i set him up with you know obviously a, a obviously, beautiful dish obviously and then uh he put it on a kid's head and uh, that was pretty awesome all right this is where the podcast ends cj once we start talking about how great you <laughs> are in rec ball, yeah, when yeah. We, once we start talking about how great you are in rec ball then it's time for the podcast to end <laughs> all right is there one more question or is that 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 all you want one more question okay you get one no, more question we, we, we don't have to we can end it on that what get, get let, let the people have their questions though. one more question we'll get out of here one more question let's see <sighs> all right from, from cj from cj krug here he says garrett has, garrett has shown an ability to get to the hoop and finish would you like to see that more any thoughts if that can continue and so we have talked about how the KU guards have struggled to finish at the rim. Real quick, before I get your answer, CJ, let me just give you an overall look right now, a snapshot of where the Jayhawks are as far as finishing at the rim. Devontae Graham is at 43%. Svi Mikhailuk is at 53%. Malik Newman is at 58%. Uh, Marcus Garrett is at 30, 63%. And LeGerald Vick is at 69%. So, yes, Marcus Garrett is one of the best that KU has at finishing at the rim. Are those hoop math numbers or synergy? Those are hoop math numbers. Hoop math numbers. Um, yeah, I mean, I you you want to see that that's his biggest strength. I think it's going to be easier for him to do that if he actually is shooting the ball from the perimeter and um, you know has those opportunities to to drive more. Because once he does start making some outside shots, then people will press up on him a little bit more, and he has the ability to to, to get by people. So I think that's something more and more as he gets more comfortable and plays more minutes down the road that's something he'll probably be pretty good at because i see him as as one of those program guys that's really good to develop into a, a really nice player down the road don't you jesse like can't you see shades of you know there's enough there to think he's junior senior year marcus garrett's probably going to be a pretty good player oh absolutely yeah no he just doesn't have it all figured out yet and we've seen KU be so good at developing shooters over time you know Frank Mason was not a great shooter when he first got here Devontae Graham was not well Devontae Graham was was a better shooter but Frank Mason I think is kind of the shining example of a guy that you know has slow, slow release didn't look good not great form and Curtis Townsend gets with him and by their junior senior year uh, you forget all about that sort of thing so yeah uh, Marcus Garrett is good at finishing at the rim but it, like you said it's gonna be more difficult for him to do that if he's not having guys respect him out on the perimeter so uh, one will help the other and both will help KU if he's able to get that going we'll go ahead and wrap it up there CJ I want to encourage people again to rate and review the podcast on iTunes we've had a lot of good feedback on there lately and a lot of people um, you know go taking their time to do that so that's kind of the way that you can quote pay the show if that makes any sense uh, to make sure that uh, other people can check it out and other KU fans out there know it's out there uh, but we're going to go ahead and sign off for there for CJ this is Jesse thanks for checking out the Sports Beat KC podcast and be sure to tune in for another episode next week
SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase.